Good morning. And we are thankful for his spirit here, and we're asking him to use his word to make us more like him. And I just want to say something real quick about uh, Vacation Bible School this week. Um, how many of you all growing up went to a Vacation Bible School at some time in your life? All right, yeah, a lot of people in here. And I can tell you this, how many testimonies I hear of people who the first time they ever heard the gospel was in Vacation Bible School. I mean, I hear it all the time. And I'm so thankful that our church is still committed to doing Vacation Bible School. You know, a lot of people would say, ah, that's old school. They didn't do Vacation Bible School. You know, old school's good. You know, I'll take Dr. J over anybody today. I mean, some of you all know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Old school, even we go back to Bob Mikan and all that kind of stuff. Old school is good. And the, problem, the, the issue is that the word of God doesn't change. And, and, and we've talked about this last few weeks, that, that what changes people's hearts is the gospel. See, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. It's the gospel that changes lives. And as long as the gospel is going out, we, I mean, we get as slick as we want. There's nothing wrong with modern technology. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying when that gets in the way of the message, then there's no power. And I'm so thankful that we're committed to Vacation Bible School. I mean, I have great memories growing up as a kid in Vacation Bible School. I grew up in a little town in Kentucky called Russell, Kentucky, and there's little towns around it. One's called Flatwoods, and another one's called Bellhaven. And, and, and we, used to take a, we used to take our green church bus up through Flatwoods, Kentucky. My dad was the pastor. He's driving it, and we go to this certain part of Flatwoods, and we'd all get out of the bus and we walked down this main street of Flat, Flatwoods throwing out candy and inviting people to vacation Bible school. And our church probably only had, I don't know, 150 people in it total. We'd have 250 kids at vacation Bible school. And I, I know God used his word during those times in my own life. Um, and all those other kids that came to vacation Bible school. So I'm so thankful that we're doing VBS this week. And um, thankful for all those that are working. And uh, I know the, 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 the theme is stellar. Right, I think about Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and they sure do. And then his word uh, declares that he sent his son to die for our sins. Well, with that said, I also want to just, just know I'm not being rude this morning. We've got new software, I, I was understanding, and, and right now that our, our little, my little clicker isn't working with the new software. That may be old school, new school problem. That's not the word of God, all right? I don't know. We have to get a special clip, but, but I'm gonna, I may do this. I'm not pointing at you. Aaron, I promise I'm not pointing at you, all right? I'm pointing at Sean. Um, no, uh, I'm, I'm not pointing at I'm, I'm just, we're moving on to the next slide. Does that make sense? So don't get upset that I'm pointing at you. you um, well, with that said, this morning we're continuing our study in uh, this, Paul's two letters. There we go. I may have to be a little, little, little stronger on my point, right? A power, that, that was not very powerful, was it? All right. But we're, we're continuing our study in Paul's two letters uh, to Timothy um, and this, this morning we're doing part 57. There we go. Uh, we're going to get this down. Uh, but, and, and we're going to be examining uh, this morning in part 57, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, entitled Difficult Times in the Last Days. And please, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do have a copy of God's Word, please take that out, whatever form that's in, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we look at these verses together. Uh, so in a way of review, uh, just want to get our passage in context. We were, last week we were down at the lake, um, and that was a tremendous time. I heard I was out of town, but I heard it went great and wonderful time of worship. Got to hear 
of what God was doing in Claire Whittle's heart and to hear a message just in encouraging our missions. Baptisms happened. Um, so it's been a couple weeks we've been in 2 Timothy, so I want to get us in context. So if you remember, the last time we were together in 2 Timothy, we examined uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And I just want to read those again, make a couple brief comments in way of review so we can get in context. So I'm going to read those out loud to you. Uh, now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must be patient, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So as he examined the, the, these verses uh, last week, we, over the, I would say it was a two-week period we did those verses, uh, we were challenged by five exhortations to be an honorable vessel. And those five exhortations were this. Understand the metaphor of, ve- of vessels. Envision the promise of an honorable vessel. Embrace the cleansing process to be an honorable vessel. If you remember that, we were to flee something, pursue something, and refuse something. That was the cleansing process to prepare us to be an honorable vessel for the Lord. Live out the characteristics of an honorable vessel was a fourth and anticipate the results that may come from being used as an honorable vessel. And, and to summarize that, the Lord declare, or desires it to use us to be honorable vessels who carry the most precious, beautiful, life-changing mes- mes- message in the history of the world, and that is the gospel of God's grace towards sinners. That's what he wants to use us for as vessels. He wants to use us to bring his gospel to those who need to be rescued from the penalty, the power, and even ultimately the presence of sin. Uh, and in order for, us to, to, for that to continue to happen, we have to do that cleansing process that we talked about. And in the mystery of, of, of God's sovereign work, he uses us as honorable vessels. As we are kind to all, you see in this passage, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. That's the attitude, that's the heart in which we go with. To carry his gospel to people so that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. And, and what I hope is that's all of our heart, right? We want to be used as God's vessels. And we go with the right attitude, the right heart. We want to make sure we're continuing to cleanse ourselves with his word and, and flee certain things and pursue him and avoid certain other things, refuse other things in our life so that we can be used as honorable vessels to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. We, we talked about this a little bit, and if you weren't here over the last couple of weeks, especially a couple of weeks ago when we were finishing this up, when we take the gospel, the gospel message, remember, can be offensive just in its message. I mean, people have to admit first that they're a sinner and they're separated from God because of their sin. I mean, that's not a popular message, and that can be offensive, but we don't need to be offensive too. And, and I said it this way, and I really think that if this word was in Paul's vocabulary back there, and it may, maybe one of these words were, were in there, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk 
I mean, this, 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 just sum it all. Just don't be a jerk. Be kind. Be patient. Thankfully, somebody was patient with us, right, when they shared the gospel with us. And they were kind. They listened. And they were gentle. And they, brought the, they let the gospel do the work, not us. I mean, you can be as strong as you want to be. It's not going to change somebody's heart. You can yell a little bit louder. Use stronger words. Talk about the wrath of God louder. It will not change their heart. God's gospel changes the heart. So when we bring it, let's be kind and gentle and patient. So God will use his word and perhaps bring people to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. That's our hope. That's my hope, and I know it is with you. So with that in review, those, I'm not going to yell at you today. Don't worry about it. All right, but with that in review, we're going to turn to our passage today. And if you would stand with me as we read our passage together this morning. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Read this along with me. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Lord, uh, we are at your mercy, even as we sang, for your spirit to do a work in us through your word. We're at your mercy for, to understand this, to know what you would have us know about you and know about us and know about us, our world. We're at your mercy to, to help us comprehend and then be used by you to put this to practice. So we pray you do a great work in all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as we examine uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 this morning, we'll be challenged by three actions to take concerning the difficult times in the last days. And here they are, just up front, understand the reality of the difficult times in the last days, recognize the reason for the difficult times in the last days, and thirdly, embrace the remedy for the difficult times in the last day. Now, we, when, before we dive into this, this passage morning, I want to acknowledge and let you know that this passage of Scripture is a sobering passage. I, I hope you felt that as you read that. As you read that list, I, I hope it was sobering. Um, it has a certain weight to it. Uh, the Lord through Paul wants Timothy and us to feel the heaviness, in a sense, of, of this passage for the purpose of warning us and keeping us on our toes. That's the whole purpose of this passage is here, to warn us and to keep us on our toes, keep our eyes open, to be alert. And, and as we walk into this text, uh, know that it speaks of people who are in the visible church. Okay? They, they, they show up on Sunday morning. I'm not talking necessarily about people in here. There, there might be. But th th these are kind of people who show up on Sunday morning, all right, but they show themselves to actually not be a part of the church, the real church. And the real church consists of those who have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that, that's the real church. That, that's who the church is. Remember, the church isn't a building. It's not really an organization. It's made up of God's people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins to be made right with God, to be given a new life. That's the church. But there's some people, and these are the people that are in this passage, that come and they're part of, a, of the church, 
visible, the visible church, when people gather together, but they're not really part of the church because they've never been born again. And we'll see that. And th- this passage is clear. Uh, we, it's, really one, it's really one through nine. We'll pick up the last six through nine next week or in, in, in a couple weeks. So this is one passage. You can obviously see the, they do not know the Lord. Right? So these are, that's what he's talking about. And, and these kind of people, those who pretend to know God but really don't, are spoken of throughout the New Testament, and we've got to be aware of that fact. This is nothing new. It was warned that this would happen. It has happened. It is happening. And I just want to say this. I don't know how much there might be, I don't know how much laughter is going to be in here this morning, um, but, but my job and my call each Sunday when I stand here and teach, and Jay, when he stands here to teach, or any of our elders when they stand here and teach, is not to be funny. It's not to be sad. It's not to be mad. It's not to be sober. It's to faithfully teach what the Word of God says and let the passage, the, the tone of the passage, set the tone in the room. Does that make sense? I know there's many preachers who like to start off with a joke, and they're just going to lighten the mood. Well, when we don't, this doesn't call for a joke because there's no joking matter. So I, I, I'm not trying to be heavy, but the passage is heavy, and I, I felt that all week as I'm preparing the last couple of weeks as I've meditated on this passage. I felt the heaviness of this. But so, so I'm not going to protect us from the heaviness. Does that make sense? And I hope you wouldn't want me to, because sometimes we need a heavy, and God knew that. So this is just going to be heavy. But Jesus spoke of these kind of people all throughout his ministry here on earth um, when he was walking on the earth. And, and one of those we find in Matthew 7, right, 15, there we go, um, through 23, all right, so you can read along with me, just listen along with what Jesus says. And you've, this is one of the most sobering statements in all the Bible. If you've ever read this, this is very sobering. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes do not, are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. And these words by Jesus are so timely in our world today. And so were the words that the Lord gave to to Paul to pass on to Timothy in our passage this morning. So look with me back at verse 1 in our passage this morning. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So it's in these words we find the first action to take concerning the difficult times of the last days. Understand the reality of the difficult times in the last days. They're real. They're they're real. Look look at that first phrase. But realize this. Some of your translations may say no or understand it or mark this. It's a contrast with the hope of repentance that we saw at the end of chapter 2. 
Just remember, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be condescending, but some of us may not know this, just remind us, there's no, there was no numbers, there's no chapter divisions in the original. That's just for us to help find our place. It just flows right next. So we just talked about that as we're kind and we bring the gospel to people and we, we bring the truth to them that God may grant them repentance to lead into life. And, and that's true. That's gonna, it's going to happen. Uh, but there's a contrast. He says, but realize this, Timothy, and that's all good, Timothy, and that's going to happen. This would be some amazing things when God be, brings people to the knowledge of the truth. But realize this. You, you need to know something, Timothy. And this is a contrast, this word but. You need to know this. Hey, difficult times are coming. Difficult times are coming in the last days. And, and this, this, this call, this, you know, realize this or no, is a present imperative. What does that mean? It's a command. It's present. Keep on knowing this. Keep this in the front of your mind every single day, Timothy. This is a reality. Keep it up there. Timothy needed to understand the reality of what was what taking place, and, and it would continue to take place. This is a reality check for Timothy. He was, hey, thanks for the encouragement, Paul, for the last one, but God's saying, okay, that's, we're not done. That's just part of it, but there's other. And like any time we read in the Gospels and Jesus shows up, there's people who embrace him and there's people who reject him, right? And that's the same all through the Scripture. Uh, some, through passionate preaching of the Gospel, will come to repentance, and some will not. Timothy, you have to understand that even with that reality, there's another reality. There's going to be difficult times. And when do these difficult times take place? When are they going to happen? What does it say up there? What, what does it say? What does it say? In the last days. In the last days. So, just to don't, don't answer the question. Just think with me here. So, when will these last days occur? All right? Think about this. When will these last days occur? Here's what the New Testament, the majority of the time when it talks about the last days, we don't have time to proof text this. I've got many proof texts if you want to talk to me about it. But most of the time when the, this word last days or even latter days are used, it's talking about from the time of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on the church. Jesus had ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came down. That time from until Jesus comes. It's between the two comings of Jesus, between his first coming and his second coming. That's what the last days are. So are we in the last days? Yes, we are. We are in the last days. Was Timothy in the last days? Yes, he was. And, and so we, we know this because he's writing to Timothy about a current behavior of false teachers going on, not something that will happen in the future. And as we see in verse 5, if you would look there with me, just, just look there in your Bibles, he will employ Timothy, Timothy in the present tense, we'll see this in a second, avoid such men as these. Now, if those people aren't around, why would he tell them right now to avoid such men as these? He wouldn't because they're there because he's in the last days. We also saw this in 1 Timothy um, talking about the latter days. Same thing. It's talking about now. It's talking about between the two comings of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, uh, in, in the last days, he has spoken to us in his son, Jesus talking about the last days, the days between the first and second coming of Jesus. So we're in the last days. He said these things will happen in the last days. Timothy was in the last days. We're in the last days. Now, there will be last days of the last days, okay? Now, sometimes this phrase, latter days, last days, is talking about the last part of these days, but that's not what it's talking about here. He's talking about the general word, last days, and and during these last days, there will be periods, there will be times that are going to be difficult. They're going to be troublesome. 
Well, what is it that Paul wants Timothy and us to know about these last days? Look again there with me. It says, it says that difficult times will come. Some of your translations say terrible. Some say perilous. It's dangerous. It's hard, fierce, troublesome days. This word is only used one other time in the whole New Testament. This word right here we have for trouble, terrible, dangerous, perilous, depending on your translation. And the only other time it's used is when Jesus faced two demon-possessed men in Matthew chapter 8. And it says of them how it translates, they were extremely violent, like wild animals out of control. That's the same word right here. Is that, is that troublesome? Is that terrible? Is that difficult days? Wild, violent, out of control? That's the same word he uses here. Paul uses this word to demonstrate just how difficult these days will be. Paul doesn't want Timothy to be surprised as to what is going on or will go, go on when, when, when the difficulty comes. Or in the, he didn't mean surprised what's happening right now or will happen. He, he, he doesn't want us to be surprised either. Now, growing up, I grew up in northeastern Kentucky, right, in the tri-state area of Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia. And now you all know this, why West Virginia is called almost heaven, right? Because it's so close to Kentucky. You all heard that? Okay. But I grew up in the Kentucky side, on the heaven side, and there was this little amusement called Camden Park. It's still there. I can't believe it's still standing because it felt like it was going to fall apart when I was a kid, and, and uh, it's been a few years since I was there. Camden Park, it was called the Sign of the Happy Clown, and it had this huge clown outside, and it said Camden Park. I mean, if you're afraid of scary clowns, you would have been afraid to go to Camden Park. I mean, it was, you know, all right. So as a kid, I remember going, it was super cheap. It wasn't like we, we wanted to go someplace nice. We went to King's Island. All right, that was in, in Cincinnati, Ohio area. But go to Camden Park, and they had this, they had a haunted, it was called the Haunted House. And you got in this, like, little roller coaster cart, and you went in this building. And it took you around this track real fast, and it was dark, and flashing lights and things would jump out at you, and like that. And I still remember the first time um, I, I came out of there, I mean, I was terrified. I, I'm not sure that I wasn't wet somewhere. All right, I mean, I was so scared. I mean, it was terrifying. And yet the next time I went on it, it wasn't nearly scary. And then as I got older and went, it was almost like it because it was air conditioned air and it was hot outside. You go in there, it was just, let's go ride, the, let's go in the haunted house and get cooled off. And it didn't scare us at all. You know why? Because I knew what was coming. I, I knew what was coming. And see, Paul wants Timothy to know what's coming. He wants us to know what's coming. Not to scare us, but so we won't be surprised, so we'll be able to handle it, so it won't shut us down. So we won't come out of the ride just terrified and, and paralyzed. He wants us to know up front, hey, these are this is happening. It's going to happen so we won't be scared. In a much greater way, the Lord through Paul here is he, he's exhorting us. You got to know. You got to understand the reality of the difficult times in the last days so you'll be prepared. That's why. Realize the reality. They're real. They're coming. So as we move into our passage this morning, I want to present another question that needs to be answered. Why will the last days be difficult? Why will it be te terrible? Why will they, if we use a word from Matthew 8, why will it be violent and out of control? Why is that the case? Well, verses 2 through 5, all right, which I'll read again for us, answer the question. For men 
will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Now, we read that, but I wanted to read it again. We need to hear that. That is real. It was going on then. It's been going on. It's still going on. So it's in these words we find the second action to take concerning the difficult times in the last days. Recognize the reason. Recognize the reason for the difficult times in the last days. What, what's the cause? Notice that the difficult times are not due to circumstances. It doesn't say anything about circumstances in that whole passage. Not circumstances. But instead, look what Paul says is the reason, the cause of the difficult times in the last days. For men. For all right, this is a connecting, all right, this is just going to be difficult times for, here's the reason, for men. And, 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 uh, mankind, it's the word anthropos, so we use for people, okay, for people. People are the problem or, or the reason for the difficult times. People have always been the problem for difficult times. You all know that? I mean, this church was doing great until I came because I'm the biggest problem. And hopefully you all understand that when problems come, it comes because of us. It comes because of people. Even people who know the Lord, we can have problems. People who don't know the Lord is even worse. But people bring the problems. They make it difficult. Now, look what, look what is the problem with the people beginning in verse 2 down through verse 4. There are 18 or 19, depending on how you count them. All right, We're not going to debate which one. We'll let the commentators debate that. All right, Dif- There's different, 18 or 19 different qualities or characteristics of those people who will be the reason for the difficult times. Notice in verse 4, the first characteristics of these people who are the reason for the difficult times, all right? Lovers of self. Lovers of self. Now, look at the end, last phrase in verse 4. This is important. What does it say? It says, lovers of God. These two phrases bracket this list of characteristics listed, and they serve as a contrast. It starts off with lovers of self. It ends with Lovers of God. It's a bracket. When I first started looking at this list, I was unsure what Paul's reasoning was for listing in this order. What's he doing? Sometimes there's no reason. I just thought, is there a reason? And I saw this. He starts off with lovers of self and then lovers of God. And I think the word love is the key to understanding this entire list. Now, why would I say this? I say this more than just for there's lovers in the beginning and lovers at the end. Uh, It doesn't only begin with those, but in fact, it begins with two love words and ends with two love words. Look there again with me in, in verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. Look, it says lovers of money. Now drop down to verse 4, and it says lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, there's two lovers, two loves at each end. I mean, so you got, it's even stronger. But it gets better than that. Look with me, all right? In between, okay, in between those two loves, all right, is is, is the result of misplaced love or misplaced affections or passions, right? And in the middle, there's actually two other words, the word unloving, you see the word unloving? And haters of good, and it literally means not loving good. It has the form of the word love. The word love used in this passage is the word phileo. You may have heard that, like brotherly love, but it's one of the three Greek words that we see in the New Testament from love, okay? See, in the beginning to in the end, two, in the middle, not right next to each other, but close, close, two, love, love, love. You see that? I, I think Paul put this in this order for a particular reason. 
to emphasize that the issue here, all right, is they have a love problem. Their affections are centered on something wrong. And when people's love or affection is placed in the wrong thing, the results can be damaging. They can be devastating. They can be damning. When the priority of our our love is placed in anyone or anything but God, there will be difficulty in our lives and those all around us. Even when that the, the 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 person or the thing is a good thing. Do you know that? It can be a good thing. But when that love is placed before the love of God and honoring God in our lives, it becomes a bad thing. And I'll illustrate this. And I, I think I may have shared this before. If not, bear with me. If you have, bear with me. If not, I think this helps. Um, this is early on in our marriage. John Ellen and I we first got married. Uh, she came home. I've been living in our, my townhouse before we got married. She comes home after the honeymoon, first night in our townhouse. We get in bed. We get retired from our, our honeymoon trip, get in bed, and she says, hey, are the doors locked? I never thought about locking the doors when I was just living there by myself. I mean, who's going to come in? I mean, I never thought about that. There was two doors front and back, and I, didn't, I don't, never thought about I don't know if you guys with me ever thought about locking your doors. I didn't grow up locking my doors. I didn't lock the doors. So, and she said, it would make me feel better if the doors locked. So I became the door locker. All right, I'm the door locker. So throughout our marriage, I've been the door locker, and I make sure that all doors are locked before I come to bed and make sure our house is safe. So we're living in Texas. It had been one of those weeks, um, maybe you knew that I served as a teaching pastor there at our church, and, and it's just been one of those weeks. I've been up late. Some people call me in the middle of the night, just, just serving people, just tired, just physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally tired. And finally, I was going to get to bed like before 10 o'clock. I was so I was so excited to get. I was so tired, so I slide in the sheets. All right, and I'm just getting ready to fall asleep. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You're just going take a last breath, and you know it's just coming on. You're going to sleep. Boom, right now. And Johnelle comes in. Hey, sweetie, real sweet, big smile. Hey, sweetie, did you remember to lock the doors? And here, as her sweet, loving husband, I responded this way: Oh, you're up. Won't you check them? Yeah. What was on the throne of my heart right there? What was my greatest love and my affection on? Sleep, rest. And there's nothing wrong with rest. But if it was before God, which it it was, because if God was on the throne of my heart and I was loving him most, he was my greatest affection and my greatest love, I wouldn't have talked to my wife that way. And she walked in the bathroom, head down, and I mean, I knew right then I'd blown like the Holy Spirit's like, you idiot. You jerk, that's what he said to me. I knew, what are you doing? And, and thankfully, I responded rightly. I didn't just say, well, what's wrong with her? I got up and I said, sweetheart, I'm so wrong. Please forgive me. And there's been other times I have had other things on the throne of my heart besides the Lord, and I, maybe I've said something to her wasn't kind that I didn't do that. But hey, see how that happens? We can have the, the, the good things can be before God. We can have our affections placed on those things, loving those things more than God. And it always, it always, it always ends up bad. It's always damaging. Always. Well, I truly believe that the primary problem with the people Paul's addressing here is their love is in the wrong place, permanently. That was temporarily, thankfully, but permanently. They are lovers of self and not lovers of God. Let's briefly look at the, the characteristics here in this passage. We're just going to briefly run down through these, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time on any of them. We're just going to briefly look at them. Lovers of self is the first one. It means selfish or self-focused. Self-love is the foundations, foundation or essence of rebellion against God. Self-love is the foundation or essence of rebellion against God. Think about this. Imagine any sports team. 
I'm not going to say the sport that I play because I always use a little illustration. So any sports team, okay, any sports team, imagine that they decide they no longer need their coach and they got rid of him. And they decide they're going to show up the next competition and they're all going to do their own thing. How's that going to work out? Terrible. They're going to look out for themselves. They're going to get theirs. And it's not going to go so good. And it's interesting that so many in our world today, and that, that's what's happening in our world today, the world today has said, you know, God, we got this thing figured out. We don't need your direction. We don't need you to tell us how we're supposed to work together to make this thing work. We got it all figured out. We're all going to do our own thing. This was, the, this, was, this was the cry in Judges. Everyone did was right in their own eyes. If you ever read a book of Judges, it's not really good. It's not pretty. Everybody did right, what was right in their own eyes, and that was what was happening here, and that's what was happening to these people. They all did what was right in their own, own eyes. They were self-lovers. They loved self. And it's interesting that so many in our world today would say the problem in our world today is people don't love themselves enough. That, that's what they would, the, a lot of people would say. Yet what the world says is, is the answer to our difficulties, that we need to love ourselves more. God's word says it's the reason for our difficulties, that we love ourselves too much. Now, listen, listen, I'm, if you have my email, don't send me an email, okay, about this. Paul is not talking about a person's self-esteem when he's saying lovers of self. We, we will all have value because we create an image of God. And if you know Christ, you have value because you're a son of God. You're a saint. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're, you're being sanctified. You'll be glorified. I mean, all these great things about us, those are all true. And we have self-worth because we're in Christ. We have self-worth because, because we've been creating the image of God. But that's not what he's talking about. Paul is talking about someone who is self-focused, someone who thinks of themselves first, second, third, fourth, and on and on and on. And that's what the world would say we need to do. But that's not the answer to our problem. That's the reason for our problem. And the Lord through Paul is saying that self-love is a pur purposeful disregard of other people and needs around us. That's what self-love is. They will do anything to make themselves happy regardless of who they step on to get there. This is exactly opposite of what the Lord calls us to do in his word. And we see this in, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says this, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. For the humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And the passage right below this, all right, it says, have this attitude, verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude. What attitude? Selflessness. Not self-love, but selflessness, loving others first. It was also in Christ Jesus, who although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God of things to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he goes on and talks about how he lovingly gave himself for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus did that? That Jesus was in it for us? He was in it for the glory of God, right? The Father, the Father got a family, the Spirit got a temple. He was in it for the, the, what the Trinity got out of it. What we got out of it, forgiveness. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful for that? He came to seek and save that which is lost. I'm so thankful he was. Well, each of the remaining characteristics of the, of the false teachers flows from this first, first one, lovers of self. All right, think about this. When we walk down through here very briefly, lovers of self, every single one of them flows from someone who's about themselves. It's all about loving themselves, all of them. All right, let's, let's, let's look at the next one. All right, it's lovers of money. If you're about lover of self, you'll be about lovers of money. This is exactly opposite of those who are called to lead the church. We saw this in 1 Timothy with elders and deacons, that the elders are to be free from the love of money. Deacons are not to be fond of dishonest gain. And Paul warned about the love of money at the end of 1 Timothy in chapter 6. Look what it says here in 6.10. It 
He says, for the love of money is root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Lovers of self leads to, leads to lovers of money. Well, now notice the next characteristic back in our passage that flows from being lover of self, boastful. And, and the idea of boastful is behavior that brags about oneself to oppress others. Someone who's boastful. The next one is arrogant. It's a feeling of superiority. One is an action, all right, being boastful. Arrogant, you just, or I'm better than you. But you don't have to say anything. You just act like it. Arrogant. The next one, revilers. Some translations say abusive or blasphemers. It's slanderous speech about others. Then you see disobedient to parents. Now, there's a close connection with disobedience to parents and disobedience to God. And you see this throughout the Scripture. All right, it's also the commandment, you know, obey your parents, right? You're the only one with a promise, so things will go well with you, all right? Uh, notice what Jesus says about the connection between love and obedience. What he says in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me, he says. Because when we love someone, all right, especially with an authority over us, we obey them. It's just natural. We'll look at the next one in our, in our passage after uh, disobedient parents. It says ungrateful. They see everything as deserved. We use, like, use this word, and, and, and I don't like the word just for our youth. We use this for our youth today. They're entitled. They're entitled. That's what, we, they're, that's what this is talking about. It's people who are entitled. They, they, they think they deserve everything, so they're never grateful. They're just ungrateful. All right. The next one, unholy. It's conduct opposed to God. Be holy means to be set apart. It's not seeking the things that, 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 that are set apart to God. It's seeking things that are opposed to God. Then we move to verse 3 with more characteristics that flow from the lovers of self. Lovers of self, it says, it says, here we go, unloving. Here's one of the loving words. And this is specifically think, thinking about in relationships, the word that's used here. Right? In, they, they, don't love the, they don't love other people. Next, irreconcilable or unforgiving will not make a, treece, a, 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 a treaty or a truce. They refuse peace with anyone. They don't want to make peace. And in Romans 12, it says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But they don't want any peace. And then, then it goes on and says that malicious gossips, uh, it's the same root. Listen to this. It's the same root for the word devil, diablo. That's what it would be Spanish. It's also similar in, 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 the, in the Greek. Uh, diablos, and, and is, it, it, means, it means to slander or accuse. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. God, he accuses, he slanders, and it's to seek damage of reputation of those who are innocent. Using speech to damage, damage someone's um, uh, reputation who's innocent. It's a pretty strong word. The next is without self-control. They're unable to rule themselves. There's lack of constraint. Again, this is the opposite of the, what's called for for elders. And, and it's opposite, right, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is in there. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But these people have no self-control. Brutal, untamed, savage. Again, opposite of those who are called to lead. Opposite of those who are called to follow Jesus. Haters of good. This literally means not loving good. This is another one of the love words in here. It's the opposite, again, of what we're called to be. These people do not pursue things of virtue. They hate things that are good. They don't love good things. Paul continues in verse 4 with more characteristics that flow from being lovers of self. They're treacherous. They're a traitor, uh, betrayer. It's used 
Guess who this word here is used of in the Bible? Who would this be used of in the Bible? Judas, exactly. In Luke 6.16, this exact same word is used for Judas. It's kind of like one of those things, you know, I don't know how long the word Benedict was around, but after Benedict Arnold, I hope nobody named their kid Benedict, right? And you want to be named after Judas because he was a traitor, just like Benedict Arnold. He was a treacherous. So it's an awful word, but that's true of these people. Then it says they're reckless, hating, hasty in words and action. They're rash. They're thought, they just run off and do things. They don't think about it. Conceited. This, has a, this, this is a picture of being puffed up, being puffed up with pride. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure. They're addicted to pleasure. They're driven by sensual urges. That's what this word is indicating. They're lovers of pleasure. We, we, we get our word hedonism from this word. They're hedonistic of the wrong things. It's okay to be a Christian hedonist if you are, are addicted to Jesus and you love the pleasure of Jesus, but this is the wrong kind. And then it says, of course, rather than lovers of God. It finishes the bookends of lovers of self, lovers of God. These people who are the reason for the difficult times and do not know God. These, these are the people. It's opposite of, of what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. All right, if you look at this with me. Uh, those who are lovers of self, they don't know God and can therefore never fulfill and live out the second, these, I mean, these two commandments, all right? These people. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. That's what it's summed up. Love God, love others. Love God, but they can't do that because they don't know God. The problem with these people is the object of their love or their affections. It's all in the wrong place. It's in the wrong person. It's in themselves and not in God. Remember, here we got lovers of self, lovers of God. I think that's the key to understand this whole thing. These lovers of self are being used by the enemy to lead our world away from the gospel and God's way. Now look with me in the beginning of verse 5. Um, and before I say that, so these words are timely. We think about the world that we live in right now. The influence in the world, our culture, what's happening not only in our country, but countries all over the world. And it's been happening. It's nothing new. Uh, I, I, let me say this. COVID did not make the problems in our country. Y'all realize that? They did not make the problems in our country. It's a disease. It's a, it was a virus. It's like saying, well, flu. I mean, can you believe flu, what it did to our country? It, it had nothing to do. It just exposed it. Exposed the prob problems that were already there, things that existed already. And you know, I'm thankful it exposed it. So we could see where the gospel needs to go, which is in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our state, in our country, in our world. The gospel needs to go everywhere. But now, now look with me at the beginning of verse 5. It says, holding, these people say, they're holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Notice the word form. They hold to a form of godliness. It's talking about an outward appearance. It's, out, it's a form. It's, it's this word has to be, have to do with outward, not inward, outward appearance. It's a form. It could be like a silhouette. Okay? It's a form. It's not the real thing. And what, it's coupled with the word godliness, specifically faith in God. Right? They have a form of godliness, but it's not the real thing. And he's really careful. God, through Paul, right? We believe that it, all this is God-breathed, 
right? This is not an accident that Paul uses this word for form. They have a form of godliness. He's saying something. They don't have godliness. They don't know God. They don't have faith in God. Instead, who do they have faith in? Themselves or lovers of self. These people are fakes who pretend to know God. Many of them most likely held positions of leadership in the church in Timothy's day. Uh, they're like the Pharisees. Look what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. We're worried about the outside and the problems on the inside. It's with all of us. We have to have it be changed on the inside. Now look at, at the, word, the, the phrase, didn't go back to our passage here, denied its power. This, this same word for power is used for the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, verse 7. Used of the power of God to suffer f- for the gospel in 1, 8. Right? It's talking about the power to do things in the Holy Spirit in 1, 7, 1, 8. The power of God to suffer the gospel. Paul uses the same word. It's the power for God for salvation. Talking about the gospel in Romans 1, 16. These people have rejected God's power. They've rejected the gospel. But they still want to be seen as knowing God. Their behavior and attitude listed above show that they, what they claim is not true. Their behavior betrays their claim of being in a right relationship with God. No fruit, no, no root, no fruit. They had no root. They weren't rightly re- related with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord through Paul writes something similar to this in Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Wow. I appreciate what, what one man wrote about this. They like the visible expressions, the aesthetic practices, and the endless discussions of religious trivia, thinking themselves to be obviously righteous because they were obviously religious. Right? They, they were all caught up in the, this, 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 this mantra, hey, I know God, I'm religious, I'm special. I'm, I'm, but they, weren't, they didn't know God. They just talked about him. And, and did certain things and make people think they did. But the, really, the rest of their life was completely in shambles. See, the true gospel will impact behavior in a positive way. You can go back to our passage. I actually shared this, this story. I've shared a story a lot. I may, again, understand that I've been hitting the head a lot. So I may have shared the story with again, all right, before. But it's, it's worth it. I shared the story yesterday with a group of guys. But, hey, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord from sin, what happens? Who comes to live inside of us? Yeah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. You can say Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, which would be the same, comes to live inside of us. That's amazing. The God of the universe lives inside of us. A good friend of mine, when we were in Texas, I had all these engineers and chemists in our church because we had all these chemical plants down there. And this brilliant guy named Chuck Mork, he was a chemist, a great friend of mine, tremendous teacher of God's word. And he, he used to travel a lot throughout the wor- world. And uh, he would travel with a group, and sometimes this one guy would be with him who, who could eat anything hot. That was he prided himself, I can eat everything hot. Just bring it on. Whatever's hot, I can eat it. And one time they were in Mexico, so they, the group of people, knew this guy was prideful about his, 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 his hot taste, and he could eat anything hot. They told the waiter, bring out the hottest pepper you can bring. It might have been a ghost pepper. It might have been, guarantee it was hot. So the guy takes it, puts it in his mouth, chews it, swallows it, and they're just watching him. He no response at first, and then he just starts sweating. I mean, it just is pouring out of him. You know why? Because he couldn't help it. That hot pepper was now in him, and it showed on the outside. And if we have the God of all the universe living inside of us, won't he show up? 
You bet he'll show up. He'll show up. He'll, he'll manifest himself in some way. Not like this, if we know God. Now, we can do some of these things, but our life isn't characterized by these things. If the Lord of all the universe lives in us, it's going to show up. The Lord loves us so much that in this passage of Scripture, he wants us to recognize the reason for the difficult times in the last day. And the reason is the people who claim to know God, but obviously they don't, and yet they're leaders, they're leading other people astray. False, these false teachers, not all false teachers, life is a, is a wreck. He's talking about these people. All you can see it in their life. shows up in not just what they're teaching, but how they're living, the way they treat people, the way they think of God, because they're lovers of self and not lovers of God. And then look at the last phrase in verse 5. This is going to be short. I love this. Avoid such men as these. Here's the rem- This is our third action to take in difficult times in the last days. Embrace the remedy for the difficult times in the last day. After Paul's lengthy description of these people, all right, um, is it any wonder, is it any wonder that Paul would say, avoid such men as these? I mean, if you knew that was true about some kids, would you tell your kids, hey, go hang out with those kids. Those are great. No, you wouldn't. you say, avoid such kids as those. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm surprised that he said that, right? This word avoid, it's, it's, it's strong. It's to stay away, have nothing to do with some translation. Turn away from, don't, don't be taken in by these men. This word has an urgent tone, warning with danger. It, it, it alludes to horror, actually, this word, to, to horror. Avoid these people with, with, with horror. I mean, you, be terrified. Be so terrified of these people. Don't get around them because they're dangerous. Because if you get caught up in their false teaching, it would be horrible in your life. This is also a present imperative. Keep avoiding. Make it a practice to avoid these people. Avoid these kind of people. And when we see the characteristics listed above in the, in, in the lives of those who claim to know God and, and speak in his name, the Lord through Paul calls us to avoid them, steer clear to them. When we see a sign on the road that says danger, bridge out, it doesn't mean put the pedal to the metal and see if you can jump the, the gulf like the dudes of hazard. It means avoid, find another way, go around. There is danger there. You drive through there, you're dead. That's what Paul's saying, don't drive through there. Avoid them, avoid these people. And then I would say this, pray that the Lord would grant them repentance and leading to life. Pray for them. Don't hang out with them. But pray that God would lead them to repentance. I mean, these are people, this is not just this non-believers. These are non-believers that are adamantly against God and they're leading other people astray. Don't hang out with them, but pray for them. Well, so what? What difference does all this make? In case you haven't noticed, we're in the last days. The difficult times are here, just like Timothy was in them. And in our passage this morning, the Lord has been, called us to action, Right? He's called us to understand the reality of difficult times, to recognize the reason for the difficult times, and then to embrace the remedy for difficult times. We can only do this by the empowering grace of God. This is not, hey, in your flesh, just get a little, just hang in there, go. No, no. Only the power of God in us can enable us to do those things. There was a song I heard back in the early 90s that came to mind when I was preparing this passage, and I, and I, I, I Googled it, I couldn't find it. I, I, all these words, I came out, and, and I, but I began to remember the song because it meant so much to me. And it was called These Days. It was written by, it was at least sung by a guy named Dave, David Baroni. I'm not sure if he wrote it. But listen to these words and 
may it move your heart like it moved my heart this week and even this morning. As I look around and see the shape this world's in, I wonder how much further can things go. Millions running aimlessly out into eternity, far beyond the reach of the one who loves them so. As the violins are playing while Rome is burning down, they can't drown the sounds of the silent cries of a million unborn babies as they die. These days, it's hard to stop the tears from falling. These days, no matter how I try, these days it's hard to stay dry around the eyes. Men are working on the Tower of Babylon again, trying to take the place of God upon his throne. And so many who claim to live in Jesus' name live as though they thought their lives were their own. And the song of self is selling magazines and ministries. And with the voices in the wilderness so few, it's no wonder crying's all that some can do. These days, it's hard to stop the tears from falling. These days, no matter how we try, these days it's hard to stay dry around the eyes. The only thing sadder than sorrow is no tears at all. So let his grief give us his compassion. And let's rejoice as those tears fall. Because in these days, it's hard to stop the tears from falling. These days, no matter how I try, these days, it's hard to stay dry around the eyes. People were living in the last days. They've been living for a long time. And people need the gospel. The answer for all this is the gospel. It's always been the gospel. It's the gospel. I just asked myself, I would ask you all, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting for? People who need to hear the gospel, they need to be rescued from that kind of life. All those things that we listed, our world is in that. Many people you may know are walking in that right now. They need the gospel. The good news that although we are sinful and separated from God, and we deserve his just wrath on our sin, he loved us so much that he sent his son, perfect, innocent, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's good news. That's the news we need to share. And my prayer is if you've never heard that good news, never responded today, that you would turn from trusting yourself, turn from being a lover of self, and turn and trust in Jesus and be a lover of God this morning. That's my prayer for you this morning. Before I pray, we're going to have couples down here. If you'd like to pray with somebody, ask questions, talk about maybe how you can come to know the Lord, how you can turn from being a lover of self and being a lover of God. Be forgiven, be made right with God. There'll be couples on both sides down here that you can do that with. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I know it's been a heavy passage this morning, but that's what you gave us. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray it'd move our hearts. Lord, we'd see the warning that you want to give because you love us to stay on our toes, to be alert, to know this is true. It's it's, it's here. It's coming. Um, But Lord, remind us uh, that we have the answer. And that's the wonderful, blessed gospel of our blessed God. Let's be faithful to share that, to be unashamed of the gospel.
because it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as I pray this over us from 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, and 13. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. You're dismissed.